you're purposely being, you know, whatever, to take this person down. And unfortunately, we do that with the Bible sometimes, and I just, uh, it's not good. It's not, <laughs> let's say that very simply. Um, so that's, really appreciate that he did that. Um, we find the Israelites as we left off in Egypt. I've titled this sermon, let's see if I can remember it, um, Challenging Empire with Unlikely Vessels. And so Greg talked about that aspect of it, about, I mean, Egypt at this time is at the pinnacle of power. You know, the, the pyramids have been built for over a thousand years. Think about that. They've been powerful for an extremely long time. And the Israelites find themselves, as John mentioned, escaping to Egypt for salvation, now finding themselves needing salvation from this great power. And I've tried this week to say, what would that feel like to be in their situation? Like what, I mean, seriously, like this incredible world power who's been so powerful for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, seemingly this empire that seems like there is nothing that can topple this thing. That there, I mean, it would feel, y'all, very hopeless, right? I mean, I don't know <laughs> what to me, but God, what is going on? My parents and their grandparents and their grandparents and their grandparents have been here and we find the oppression over time has not gotten better. It just continues to get worse and worse and worse and worse. But we do find the Israelites doing a few things. Uh, one thing in chapter 2 they do, which is probably wise, they simply cried out to the Lord. Like They recognize there's a point to where there's a recognition we can't get out of here on our own. When I think of the empire and I think of Egypt, I also consider all the empires of the world that we have today, all the systems of influence. Like I was thinking this morning about like the sex industry and how it's like trafficking and online and videos and like it looks impossible. It looks like its roots are so deep and so, so many people coming for our kids, all these things. And to be honest, I feel like the Israelites in Egypt going, well, God, there's no hope for, like, maybe we can save a few, but there's no hope to see a grand exodus, as a way out from this, from this system. And so many of us find ourselves entangled in it, and we're, ah, and we're struggling with it. And I look back to Israel, and I say, and they're in a similar situation. God, what's going on? I love the crying out to the Lord, because I think one thing that prayer does for us if we're really genuinely crying out, is it puts us at a place of surrender and looking to him? As John mentioned, even today, just thinking through, there's so much of the time, y'all, God's been working on my heart lately. Man, I'm always looking at myself, thinking I can do it. I can do it. I can do this. I can accomplish this. It's okay. We can do this this way. We can do it that way. The Israelites, man, they had no chance. They weren't going to be able to do it. Egypt had the weapons. <laughs> they had the chariots. They had the power. Israelites were just a very rapidly growing group of people, but they didn't have that same power. So what do we do whenever there are systems in place, like <laughs> um, Egypt, and we look around our world and go, wow, look at these injustices, look at these things. One way for us to deal with it is to go, mm, it's hopeless, I can't wait for Jesus to come, right? 
don't think that's the, what Jesus told the early church in the church to do. Hey, just hold on until I come back. You know, maybe, you know, I'll change things then, but until then, a few thousand years later, for thousands of years, you can just kind of suffer and hope that you get through it. I think the book of Acts and the power of God that we see behind that shows us that that wasn't the type of God that we serve. That he was working powerfully in the midst of empire, in the midst of challenges, working through unlikely vessels <laughs> that we would never pick to see empires challenged and, and, and crumble. And uh, Think of Rome and how impossible that would have seemed to have something like that fall. And just, it did, you know. Uh, it's just, it's just, it's incredible. So one thing we can do is we can lose hope. One thing I think that we do often, and I, as I get older, I'm getting older, I, I don't like it. I know, that's what everyone says, come on, but I'm, I'll be, I'll be, I'm 39, I'll be 40 next year, and you know, when I get out of bed, it doesn't feel exactly the same way that it used to. And I keep praying for that. I want that glory that Moses had, you know, God, that like he's, I'm just ready to go and like I feel good and strong and, vi- and vigorous. Lord, where was I going with that? <laughs> oh, I know where I'm going. Uh, that's, that's, no, it's not. <laughs> uh, there's time, there's, there's times <laughs> where early in our lives, we have this like, woohoo, we're going to conquer the world. And then over time when we see, oh shoot, it's a lot harder than we realize. These systems have been here for long, long, long times. Oftentimes we get disillusioned and jaded and just quit. I don't think that's God's heart for us either. But when I see the midwives, let's, uh, I really love this part. In the midst of empire, as, as, as Greg talked about being, you know, going against it, being subversive, they were faithful to God with what they were given. And that hit me hard last week because oftentimes I want to see the exodus, the bombastic, the great, and the grandiose, and God's going to crush the whole you know, sex industry and take it to the ground, and God can. And God eventually will. And prayerfully, I'm going to cry out to God every, <laughs> throughout my life, God, let's, what, what can we do? What can we do what, 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 what can, what, to serve you and to, to see these things topple? But in the midst of it, think of all the people that those maidservants rescued. Think of all those individual children that would be dead if they, ha- if they had just given up and said, well, it's hopeless now. I'm going to succumb to the way of the empire. I'm going to buy in. I'm going to do what Pharaoh says. But in their subversive nature, they said, I'm not going to. I fear God, and I'm going to, no matter whether I see great rescue or this is it, I will be faithful. And that's a huge theme that I think is throughout this book, is we look and we see God's, like it is all about him and his act, and then for us, it's will we be faithful to what he's doing? Will we take the time to listen? Will we take the time to see what he's doing and faithfully live it out, right? So I love those parts. I love it. So we're going to be in Exodus 4 and 5 today. Um, go, to, yeah, go to the next slide. Let me, let me talk about this real quick. And then we'll dive in. I think oftentimes when we're crying out to the Lord, looking at these systems going, what can we do? God is 
like a chess master putting the pieces in place. You ever seen someone that's really good at chess compared to someone who's not? They will crush them. <laughs> I guess that's how it is with most things. But oftentimes, if you're not very good and you're playing someone that is, you don't even see it coming. You don't even realize that they put that piece there and that there and that there, and they're going to go boom, 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 checkmate, and you're just going to sit around going, what? <laughs> but the reality is, is in this scenario, God's putting the pieces in place. And I, just, I want that to be an encouragement because I think there's times where we're crying out to God, crying out to God, and we don't realize the pieces are being put in place. And then we give up and we say, oh. But Moses is being born. Moses is being sent into Pharaoh's home. I bet there are probably people crying out for years and years why Moses is literally in the belly of the beast and it's just not time yet for the fulfillment. And so I just encourage us to not lose heart as we cry out, to not lose heart as we're faithful to God because there's rescue that's happening and there's rescue that will happen as long as we just set our eyes on him and, 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 and remain faithful to that. He's putting the pieces in place and uh, you're going to see what he, he's going to make Pharaoh look awful foolish. This great power. He's going to do, do, do. Checkmate. Go to the next slide. Greg ended in the burning bush scene that's taking place. Always, I thought, well, I wonder really, I really would love to see what that looked like. Wouldn't y'all? Like this, it's on fire, but it's not being consumed. Of course Moses is drawn to it because of that. But in this scene, you see God telling Moses, who has been, again, in Pharaoh's house, who has seen injustice towards his people, killed somebody, finds himself out in Midian, He's actually shepherding some flock, his father-in-law's flock. Boom, this thing is on fire, and God says, listen, I'm bringing a great rescue, Moses, and I'm going to use you. It reminds me of Mary, and <laughs> this, like we talked about God using these unlikely people. God, really? Like, how many of us would go, yeah, God, awesome, let's go. Some, maybe some of us would. Moses didn't quite respond that way. God reveals himself as Greg mentioned last week, saying, uh, I am or I'll be who I'll be. I love that phrase. I love, I will be who I will be. It's like, I just sense this dot, 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 like this sense of, I can call myself anything I want. I can say I'm the goat preacher. I'm not, and I would never call myself that. That means the greatest of all time. I'm not. Yeah, I know. Well, there are some people that don't know that. I'm about to be the goat at something else, John. <laughs> but that is, that's meaningless. Meaningless. I can call myself whatever I want. There's a sense in which God says, just wait, Moses. I'll be who I'll be. You'll see who I am. You'll see me through the power. You'll see me through this situation. Israel will see who I am because I am who I am. I'll be who I'll be. And I just, I love that about God. I love that about his nature. He's going against these so called gods of Egypt. It says, just don't worry, I'll be who I'll be. And maybe you would think that Moses, you know, would be all excited about this. I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to deliver. I'm going to use you. You're going to plunder the Egyptians, all this stuff. And then Moses in, in, in Exodus 4 doesn't go, yay, let's go. He immediately says, but, but suppose they do not believe me or listen to me, but say, the Lord did not appear to you. 
Moses has questions, and I think this is actually a legit question. Imagine God gave you a word for a, think of any oppressed country out there that the believers in them, let's just use that as an example, are completely oppressed, can't um, worship the Lord and freedom, all these things, and God gives, you know, Deborah a word and says, go tell them they're coming out. I mean, my, you, one of our first reactions would be like, God, uh, what, what, are you just going to give me that word? Are you going to, you know, show some power? What's going on here? Because I wonder, I wonder if there had been other prophets or people who've said before, God's delivering us. Because, I mean, that happens this day and age all the time, right? There's this guy saying this, this guy saying this, this going on. Moses is like, hey, what if they don't hear me? Because they've been in this system for a really long time. This seems almost impossible to get out of. What do I do? Go to the next slide. So Moses has this staff, and he's shepherding, as I said earlier. This is John King's favorite part. This ordinary staff. It'd be like God going to a carpenter and say, let me see your hammer. You want to you see something powerful? Throw it down. And it says that it becomes a snake, and Moses recoiled from it. I'd say so. I, unless you're David Brangenberg. Where's he at? He would be like, oh, cool, God. Let me see that. Uh, I'd be like, <laughs> I would, oof. And then God goes, like, to take it a step further, he's like, hey, grab the tail. Like anyone, I mean, I don't know about you, but you got to grab behind the head if you're grabbing, right? <laughs> you grab the tail. <laughs> hey, there he is right there. We, we were talking about how cool you would, you would think it was that God told you to throw down your staff and it becomes a snake. Like, awesome. Hey, can everyone, everyone come check this out? I should have had David bring in a snake today. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it'd probably be my, it'd be my exodus right like john you're out of here never to come back <laughs> i would never do that i'm not a big fan of fan of those bad boys but it's interesting that god i mean that moses did have enough trust in god to grab the thing by the tail he then says hey put your hand in your uh cloak pulled out it was scaly like leprous puts it back in, completely heals his hand. Tells Israel, hey, if that, I mean, tells them, hey, if Israel doesn't listen, go down to the Nile, pour it out, it'll become blood. That's three pretty powerful signs. And at that point, you might say Moses would be like, okay, cool, God. Like, I mean, many of us might be like, okay, that's, that's pretty cool. Like, I just threw down my hammer and it became a snake. I think they'll listen to that. But that's not Moses' response. In verse 10, Moses says, it says, But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor even now that you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So Moses responds in a way that I think a lot of us probably would. Hey, God, you want me to go before the power of the world? I can't even speak very, like, I'm not a charismatic, eloquent speaker. Again, if we think back to Christmas, that's who we would have picked, right? We'd have picked the best speaker, the one who commands everybody's, you know, attention, who speaks with authority, who speaks with power. Instead, God says, I'm going to topple Egypt through someone who can't even speak well. What does that reveal about God? 
I will show my power over the gods of Egypt from someone who has a stammering tongue. We love that story, right? I love talking about, we love the story. We love Frodo. In the Shire, I know, I used Lord of the Rings, the little hobbit that has no seeming great power. He's a little guy that no one would ever pick for their team. He'd be picked last for their team. And we cheer him on as he goes against evil itself <laughs> to destroy the ring. And we go, yes, right? We love that story. That story, that melody, that refrain has been played all the way back here. Like we hear it, we see it in Joseph, we see it in all these people, and it hits us. Because I believe that God loves to use the underdog. I believe he loves to use the person that no one expects. And the funny thing is, is so many of us go, God could never use me. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you're exactly the type of people God loves to use. He loves to use the unexpected, you know? Wouldn't it be something for God to do something crazy through Stones River? You know, just, and he does. He's done amazing things, but like, you know, we 70 people here in Murfreesboro. I looked it up this week. There's, first website I went to had over 150 churches. There may be way more than that. I have no idea. You may know how many churches there are in Murfreesboro? There's a lot. But wouldn't that be his thing to go, hey, if these people, these people are faithful, let's use them. That's who he picks. That's what he does. I love it. I love, I love that part about him. God's response then is, oh, it's okay, Moses. You know, you know what? I'll find somebody else. No. Verse 11 says, Then the Lord said to him, Who gives speech to mortals? Who makes them mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? <laughs> like, and I feel like God probably tells us that if we would listen. When we feel insignificant, when we feel like God can't use us, we look at these empires and these powers and we go, God, we can't do any. What do we do? So God say, hey, I made your hand. You can write. I made your tongue. You can speak. You can do these things. And here, Moses finally surrenders. He doesn't. This is the guy that God used to part the Red Sea. This is Moses who we hear about over and over and over in Scripture. This is they point back to Moses, Moses, Moses. You hear Moses so much, you're sick of hearing about Moses. But this is how he started. He started by trying to get out of it, not believing in himself that God could use him. To me, I wonder, does that mean that he had low self-esteem or he didn't see how powerful God is? Maybe a combination of them both to recognize, wow, okay, God is powerful enough to use somebody like me. In verse 13, he says, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. He finally just comes out with it, right? He's been like ho-humming around. He's been kicking the tires. Well, God, what about this? What about that? Finally, he goes, okay, let's just cut to the chase. As Greg would, let's just rip the Band-Aid off. God, I don't want to do this. <laughs> God, you know, he was super happy with this response, right? Uh, then the, the, the Hebrew says, God flared his nostrils. Like that's, like he was, he was not happy. He was not happy with, with Moses here. I mean, if you think about it and recognize the fact that he had put Moses into Pharaoh's home, he had the chess pieces going in play, and now his piece here is going, well, I don't want to do it. God says, uh, the anger of the Lord, it says that in verse 14, the anger of the Lord was kindled, or the nostrils were flared of the Lord against Moses. And then he brings up Aaron, who speaks fluently. He says, okay, Moses, we got it. We, we've got to have rescue. 
I'm going to, I'm initiating rescue. So in, yeah, let Aaron come along. That's fine. You do the powerful acts that I showed you here. He'll speak. Woo! Sorry, I'm a little parched over here. Moses begins his return to Egypt, and something very peculiar happens along the way. Next slide, please. Hey, there we go. That's Zipporah. I'm going to act like that's her. There's a little paragraph here. Ryan texted me in the middle of last sermon. He's like, hey, this is interesting. I'm like, yeah, it is. Have y'all ever, I'm sure we've read this. Oftentimes we read through these things and we kind of skim past it. And the reality is, is uh, there's speculation on, on ends a lot about this little passage, but it's weird. It's weird, isn't it? I, and I thought, I can't just go through this and not bring this up. But I think there's something, I think there's some good things that we can learn from this. Headed back to Egypt, God's upset at Moses because he is trying to get out of it. But then in verse 24, it says on the way there, a place where they spent the night, the Lord met him and tried to kill him. What? what? God seems a little like up, down. What do you mean? Like you want to use him now? You're going to try to kill him? But Zipporah, so this was Moses' wife that he took in Midian, took a flint and cut off her son's foreskins, touched it at Moses' feet, said, truly you're a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said a bridegroom of blood by circumcision. I've really, really thought about this a lot this week. <laughs> Meditated on a lot. We had a conversation about it I did last night. Um, here's the thing. Why didn't Moses have his son circumcised? Like, this was the sign of the covenant that God gave Abraham, wasn't it? But here he's chosen not to. He was born and lived in Pharaoh's palace. Now he's married to a Midianite who's like a half breed of Israel, kind of, from Abraham's seed, but not Sarah's. And I wonder if he's struggling with his identity here. I wonder if he's struggling with, I wonder if he's struggling with Zipporah. Maybe Zipporah said, we're not circumcising our kids. I'm Midianite. And maybe Moses is like, well, uh, yeah, let's do that. We need to do that. There's something here where Moses has not gone all in in covenant. This is a big deal. There is something here where God, he has not submitted entirely to saying, God, I am all in on being a Hebrew. I am all in on you being my God. I'm all in. There's something that's, even if it's his wife, it could be. It could be himself still struggling with this. God needs someone who's all in. And many sages saw something similar happen back when Jacob wrestled with God or wrestled with an angel before like another refrain being played before Jacob became named Israel. And this big moment happens. There's this wrestling with God that he has and, you know, wrestles all night and boom, touches the hip and that's all it takes. But there almost seems to be this wrestling with Moses and wrestling with will he submit? Will he submit? Because he's not. He's fighting back. And maybe this is one of those big moments where he finally goes, fine. I'm in. <laughs> I'm in. I'll be in covenant. Let's do this thing. His wife looks like she buys in reluctantly, not super excited about it. But I thought, I think that God does this often to groups, often to individuals, that we constantly fight against him. And there's a point where he's like, come on, I got something to do. 
just submit. Submit to my way. I got it. And I just, it hit me heavy this week because I think oftentimes I do kick back. I do know that God's saying, hey, man, John, I'm pushing you in this direction. I'm like, oh, I don't want to. But there's rescue that God wants to have. And sometimes we've got to wrestle with God through this. Has ever, ever, you ever felt like you wrestled with God? <laughs> he always wins, you know. But I think often we need the wrestling to get to the point of that, that submissive, that God, there's no other way but you. It's, you, have, you have to be the one that provides the way out. We can't provide it. We can't provide it. I've tried too many times. All right, I'm done. I give up. <laughs> but our self needs that. Next slide. We'll end today by seeing that the first encounter that Moses and Aaron have <laughs> this, uh, against this empire, the uh, underdogs, seemingly, though they're not, like, that's the funny thing is they come before Pharaoh. Pharaoh is actually the underdog in this situation. He has no chance. But from a human perspective, we would see these as the underdogs coming in before Pharaoh. And they tell Pharaoh, they say, and some, some, some people ask, well, how did Moses get in there? Well, Moses was part of Pharaoh's home for a long time. It's like a perfect solution. God had already set the pieces in place. Moses comes before Pharaoh and says, uh, in verse 1, let my people go, that they may celebrate a festival to me in the wilderness. I always f- found that statement very interesting, by the way. And I've wrestled with that a lot this week, too. <laughs> I love going back through this and wrestling with these things. I wish I had all the answers. I have some ideas and some thoughts. Why does Moses ask to go on a three-day journey, well, a three-day's journey length away, with everybody knowing full well that God wants to rescue them completely? Like, is he being deceptive? Is what's happening here? I wish I could tell you I know the answer. I just got it. I know that a lot of people believe, and there is some truth to this, that God wanted to reveal how hard Pharaoh's heart is. Like, he won't even let them go on a holiday. Like, (laughs) like like he he is so at, so drunk on power that there's no way that he would even let them go for that time. I think there's some truth to that. I think there's also an interesting thing that God is going to show himself more cunning than Pharaoh. He's going to show himself more powerful. He's going to show himself more cunning through this whole thing, and I think it's incredible. Two things I'll mention that I read this week that I thought was an interesting take. And uh, one is God promised to plunder the Egyptians. Whenever the Egyptians are finally like, let these people go. Moses keeps asking for this festival. Like, and so it's a three days journey away. So he's probably asking for seven, ten days, something like that, for the Israelites to go out, have their festival, worship God. Right? One of the persons questioned, I wonder if the, if the Egyptians would have given as much up to the Israelites as they did if they knew they were gone forever. Because many of them could have thought, well, they've only asked for the festival. The other one that I think is even more interesting is the fact that as they're going and the Israelites, and I'll get there again, but as they're you know, escaping Egypt and they're being gone for several days and going, going, it's at some point that Pharaoh goes, huh, what did we do? And many people say that there was a point to where they go, oh, they're definitely gone a lot longer than three, than three days journey. What's happening here? And almost like it was God's drawing them out to have his final blow on Egypt. And to say, I'm more powerful than you, 
and I'm smarter, not for his own ego, but to show the people of Egypt that this monotheistic, that they are a polytheistic culture, they had all kinds of gods, this God was truly God, without a doubt, and we'll get there as we go through, because there's so many questions of why didn't God just boop, boop, beam me up Scotty and the Israelites leave, right? You think about that kind of stuff. Why did there have to be 10 plagues? Why did there, was this cat and mouse game about going out in the wilderness? I want to continue thinking about some of those themes and those thoughts, but without a doubt, we have to say God is trying to tell us and tell them something through this, right? Or he would just say, you're out. Magic carpet, see ya. But Pharaoh's response to just seemingly not that, I don't know, it seems like it's not that difficult of a request. Hey, we've been enslaved to you for a really long time. We need to go, we want to go celebrate the Lord. Let us go out to the desert for a little while. His response in verse two shows how drunk on power he is. And as John mentioned earlier, many Pharaohs call them and believe themselves to be God. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? Like, it's just this kind of, who is the Lord that I should heed him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. This empire, all the empires of the world, many of them are, most of them, all of them probably are drunk on power, believe there's no way that I'm going to be toppled. There's no way that anything's going to happen. Who is this? Who, the Hebrews? You're all, y'all's God? Whatever. I don't know. And we see that, 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 that heart of Pharaoh that is incredibly hard towards the things of God and incredibly hard towards the people drunk on power, continuing to want to have that. You would think maybe the Israelites would be like, oh, Moses, Aaron, man, that, like, that stinks. I'm sorry you had to go do that. But they weren't nice at all. I didn't mention earlier that when Moses showed them the powers and all that, they were all in. Yeah, let's go. Let's go fight the empire. <laughs> but as soon as there's pushback, what happens? Because what Pharaoh does is says, you know what? If you want to go on a vacation, that's fine. You can go get your own straw and have the same quota. Think of how hard that is, how ruthless that is. That's, these are the type of systems that we're dealing with. You understand that, right? The accuser, Satan, like, is behind many of these world systems, and he's not just like, oh, yeah, cool. Let's just play a game like... Let's kill, let's destroy, let's go after. And you see this ruthless, evil <laughs> Pharaoh who is like, no, you know what? You want to just request? You feel like requesting a vacation? I will crush you. You will go get your own straw. And the Israelites are not happy with Moses and Aaron. Which I think is intriguing, and I think it's the response most of us would have. If we're, dude, why'd you do that? And they're like, hey, you guys said I should do it. Yeah, but now we're in trouble because we're always often looking at our own heartaches and the challenges that we have. And we're viewing everything through those lenses. And it's hard for us to go, is God still have a rescue? But God, look at how I'm being affected and look at how I'm being afflicted and we can't see beyond that. Anyone ever fall into that trap? God, me, what's happening to me? It causes the Israelites to want to give up. How often does that happen? How often does it happen whenever God has given a leading, a guiding, and a group of people come together and say, yes, let's do this. And then, man, 
there's this punch right back, and we go, oh, no, never mind. It gets hard. It gets difficult. I am guilty of that. I am guilty of going, oh, I'm tired of this. No, I don't want to do this anymore. But God had a work. God had a way out planned. And it feels like every time I end a sermon, it ends on a down note <laughs> on this one so far. Like, but that's how it begins. This is the story. It, it gets, goes worse before it gets better, obviously. But let's not give up. What do we do when we see these oppressive systems? Will we cry out to God? Will we be like the maidservants and remain faithful to God in what he's given us to do while we cry out and cry out that they would be toppled? Are we listening and seeking what God is doing in our city, in our communities, the places that we are going? God, I'll submit, surrender. I feel like I'm an unlikely vessel. I feel like we're an unlikely people, whatever. But you're all-powerful. You're a powerful God. If you want us to do something, God, we'll do it. There's many people that need ways out. There's many people groups that need way out in our culture, in our society, across the world that are entrapped in systems. And so we can just go, well, I'll just kind of do my thing. That's the easy thing to do, just to say, let's just leave it the same. Or we can say, no, God, what are you doing? Let's go. We're willing to go, and we're going to follow you. Father, we love that you have revealed yourself as a God who desires ways out. That you're a God who hears. You know, uh, I don't know if the Pharaoh and the Egyptian gods gave two cents about the people, but it's revealed here that you heard the people. You heard their cry and it bothered you. (laughs) You cared about them. How amazing is that a God that cares Thank you that you've shown us that about yourself, that you're a God who cares, that you're a God who rescues, that you're a God who's very powerful, and you're a God of revelation. Like you do these things, you've done the plagues, and you're revealing who you are in your nature. You're continuing to do that. Father, I pray that we would, if we've been wrestling with you, that we would just say, never mind, we give up. (laughs) God, for the places in my life that I'm wrestling back and forth with you, that you would help me to surrender and understand that you are a good God doing incredible things, far more than I could ever do myself or ever dream up or imagine. And that I would just, I would be in, in your playbook. I would be following your path, God, that we would be following your path. Help us to be a people who are faithful, even in the midst of, of empire, who will remain faithful to you, who will not give up, who will not lose heart who will pray and seek and cry out and follow you in, with obedience. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you all stand up while we sing this last one? John says, what do we what do? We do? What do we do when we're facing